0: You were there to help me out. You just saw the need and said, can I help you? We learn a lot from watching other horses and watching other riders. Welcome everyone. I'm Julie Goodnight, and thank you for listening to my podcast about horse training and equestrian sports. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. You can find us everywhere you get your podcasts. I appreciate the reviews and ratings from our listeners. I've been getting some great feedback on the podcast, both online and in person. I love seeing those five star reviews. It helps me out a lot and it helps other horse lovers find this podcast. So, my heartfelt thanks goes out to everyone who's left me a review. I enjoy reading your comments. We love your ideas and suggestions, so please keep them coming. Since the last time we recorded, I've been on the road a lot. I've been gone more than I've been home, sorry to say, Um, but not really because I've had some great trips. We had a ranch riding adventure clinic up in northern Colorado in September, and it was beautiful weather. We had 36 riders from all over the country that were coming to the ranch to just have a great time. commune with their friends, ride horses. We did trail obstacles, cow work, and arena lessons, and, of course, trail riding in the Rocky Mountains. So I think everybody had a fabulous time there. Then I went on to Northern California for a horsemanship clinic. I was really treated to a fabulous facility up there called the Triple E Equestrian Center. It's a cutting horse facility um, and event center, and they treated us really well. I had a great group of riders there, and uh, we all had a good time there as well. I also made a quick trip to Baltimore in the last couple of weeks where I presented a lecture on horse behavior to an audience for the um, Mill of Bel Air Equine Appreciation Dinner. They do an annual uh, equine dinner for their customers there. And uh, Cosequin was generous enough to bring me in as the guest speaker. So that was a lot of fun and got to see a lot of familiar faces there and just a quick trip in and out. Around the ranch here, Rich has finally found his new horse and come home with him a few weeks ago. He is a super nice six-year-old quarter horse gelding. We call him Casper. Um, he's a uh, own son of Smart Spook and a money-earning money horse in the Reining Horse Association. So he's got some really nice training on him. He's also um, done some introductory cow work, so he's... Got a super nice temperament. He's a handsome lad, and uh, Rich and he are getting along great. So uh, that's keeping Rich busy, and um, and it's good for all of us when Rich is busy. So um, my young horse Pepperoni has managed to injure himself yet again. So he's on another layoff. Um, He's sort of one of those horses that just would get hurt in a padded stall. I don't really know what he did to, uh, to strain his suspensory ligaments, probably um, just, you know, sort of like having a sprained ankle. And he's recuperating nicely in the stall, getting some electroshock treatments there. And um, we're going to do some special farrier treatments with him as well. So meantime, he and I are just going on short walks every day. Um, which is fine. It's fine. It's, it is what it is. So hopefully I'll be back to riding him the next time I come back at you with a podcast. I've got a busy fall schedule yet ahead of me. Uh, I've got a couple of more clinics. I'll be headed to upstate New York f- to Houghton College in Houghton, New York uh, for the CHA International Conference. I'm going to be the keynote speaker there. going to do a talk a keynote talk on um, called "Trainer to TV" and about my unlikely journey from a horse trainer to a television show producer. So that uh, that'll be fun. That'll be the first time I've ever presented that type of topic. So I'm really looking forward to that, and of course, seeing a lot of my friends from the Certified Horsemanship Association. It's a great nonprofit organization that I uh, have been a member of for 25, 30 years. Uh, I'm certified as a master clinician through that organization, which is their highest level of certification. And you should check it out if you're looking around the internet at cha-ahse.org, or just Google Certified Horsemanship Association. They have a lot of great resources. It's a non-profit organization that is dedicated to safety and excellence in horsemanship. So it's a it's an organization I'm proud to represent. So you might wanna check it out and I'll look forward to being at their conference um, later this month. And then finally, I head to Massachusetts for Equine Affair, the granddaddy of all horse expos here in the US. Always looking forward to that event, always see a lot of familiar faces there. I'll be doing some presentations sponsored by Cosequin. I'll also be doing some Q&A and autograph signing for uh, WF Young Company, Shoshin and Absorbine. So be sure to come check check that out. And uh, also, I've got some really awesome events coming up in 2020. We've got some new programs scheduled at C Lazy U. Super exciting, brand new programs, one of them being... Horsemanship Immersion, which is going to be an intensive five days of studying horses and horse training and horsemanship. And then also new at Sea Lazy U next year is going to be a couples retreat, a couples riding retreat. It's going to be super fun. It's going to be super vacation oriented. And uh, it's going to be co-taught with Barbara Schulte, her husband, myself, and my husband, and uh, so any couples are welcome to attend and um, look forward. Go to my website to find out more information. Um, one more new program. Well, it's a returning, returning program to the agenda is. I'm um, happy to announce I'm going back to Ireland for the Connemara Equestrian Escapes uh, Clinic Vacation. And I hope some of you think about joining me there. I went a couple of years ago. We had a fabulous time. I can still remember it like it was yesterday. So I'm really looking forward to go back to that beautiful country. Um, So there'll be more information about that and all these programs coming up in 2020 on my website. So just go to juliegoodnight.com and click on the Schedule tab. Today, special edition of the podcast, which is going to be an hour-long session of "What the Hey" Q and A. As you know, that's my favorite part of the show, primarily because I like saying "What the Hey" Q and A. And uh, the truth is, we have been asking for your questions every time I do a podcast, and you have submitted so many great questions that we've accumulated somewhat of a backlog of questions from our listeners. So right now, we're going to push through that backlog as much as we can. We're going to get as many of your questions answered in the time allotted. We've gone through and winnowed out all the duplicate questions. So you may find your answer, but to a different question, even if we don't get to your question specifically. So Megan... Go ahead and read us the first question.
1: Okay, our first question comes from Ella, and she says, I have been listening to Julie's podcast for a while. I came back to horses two years ago after a 25-year break. It never occurred to me that I would lack confidence in the saddle, so I took on a four-year-old mare. The trouble is, I feel I lack the experience and confidence to lead her. We've had many ups and downs, and my anxiety is getting in the way of her progress. Recently, she started refusing to load in the trailer, which means we are really limited in what we can do. I feel she challenges me every step of the way. Do you have any good advice for me?
0: Well, yes. Boy, that's a big question. So there's a lot inherent in your question, and I also feel like a lot of people are in the same boat in, in one or more ways. And of course, 25 year hiatus from a sport is a very long time. And we laugh and joke a lot about, it's just like riding a bicycle. And if you rode when you were a kid, you're going to, you know, jump right back up there. And to a degree, I believe that is true. I believe you definitely have an advantage if you have had, Previous experience, even if it was many many years ago, and I'm sorry that the confidence thing snuck up on you as much as it did, because that's perfectly normal, and it it surprises some people. But of course, as we age, we uh, we tend to lose some confidence, especially when it comes to physical activity, especially when it comes to Somewhat dangerous activity, or shall we say high adventure activity? And that's a normal part of aging. Uh, and rather than think of it as getting older, I prefer to think of it, frankly, as we get smarter as we get older. We also have more life pressures on us. And we've got, you know, a mortgage to pay and a retirement to fund and kids in college and elderly parents to take care of. And it just seems like. The list is never ending of pressures on us. And so the, the added pressure of taking on a rigorous activity such as horses and horseback riding, um, you know, it's... It, it will definitely zap your confidence. And it's because we're smarter. We know we don't bounce as much as we used to. We've got a lot of people reliant on us. So we're a little um, quicker to have anxiety in that regard. So these are all things that are perfectly normal and perfectly predictable. I'm really sorry that it took you by surprise. And, um, you know, of course, knowing what you know now and with all the struggles you're having with this young horse, you might, in hindsight say, you know, probably wasn't too good an idea to get a four-year-old horse. And I would be remiss if I didn't say that. And I think even for an experienced and a rider that's been riding a lot currently, getting a four-year-old horse is a very big step. So young horse, that's a very young horse. She could and hopefully does have a whole lot of training, but that doesn't mean she's not a young horse. She's not even mature yet horse isn't mature until they're seven or eight years old. So when I think about you know myself and, and the kind of horse I want, I do love training young horses and you know I'm a professional rider and I have been all my life and I've trained young horses all my life. So I, I come from a different place of experience than you, but I'll tell you what, um, if you just look at what I really need in my life, what I need right now is a mature, super broke horse that I can not ride for a couple of weeks. I can be gone for two or three weeks as I frequently am. And then just come down to the barn, grab that horse and go out and have the ride of my life. That just speaks to the horse's age and temperament and training level. And rarely, rarely ever is a four-year-old horse going to meet that kind of need. That's usually a horse that needs a lot of daily work. They still need to be progressed in their training. So there's a lot of stuff there about your confidence. Um, I have materials on my website, juliegoodnight.com, a lot about confidence. Um, I also have a motivational audio recording that you can purchase online uh, about building your confidence around horses. So I highly recommend that because a lot of people have really benefited from listening to that, listening to it right before you go ride and uh, and really addressing the confidence level as a separate subject. Now, the other subject that needs to be addressed is your horse. And you don't say a lot about the horse's previous training, but I'm assuming she had some. You say that she no longer or she recently won't lead load into the trailer. So that leads me to believe that she used to load in the trailer and now isn't. You also mentioned that you feel like every day you're starting over, that she's challenging you every single day. So this is perhaps somewhat related to the confidence issue, but I would say it's beyond that. I think this horse clearly does not accept your authority, clearly does not look at you as the leader and the one in charge. And so... You, it sounds like you may be working with this horse on a regular basis, but when I hear people tell me that the horse is constantly challenging their authority, that every day you have to reassert your authority over the horse, what that tells me is that in between those attempts, you are doing something to erode your authority with the horse. You are giving away your authority in some way. And you're doing it every day, and you're probably doing it along with the exercises you're doing to establish authority. Like, um, it could be as small as letting a horse lean his shoulder into you and stepping back. It could be uh, bigger than that, maybe having him sling his head at you and you stepping back. It could be the technique that you use in your groundwork. One thing I see a lot in clinics is. People have been trained to do circling work with their horse on a lead line and change directions, but they don't really actually know how to do it correctly. And that is an exercise that if you do it poorly and you allow the horse to infringe on your space in the subtle ways that they're very clever about doing, Pretty soon it's an exercise where every time you turn the horse around, he's moving you out of his space. And so there's all kinds of small ways you can give away your authority to the horse. You can make really poor judgments in front of him, tell him to do something, and then he either gets hurt or scared for doing it, or you inadvertently punish him for doing it. Uh, For example, something I see a lot in uh, riding of horses is the person that asks their horse to canter and then because they're nervous about it or lack confidence, they snatch the horse in the mouth at the moment he canters. And so things like that do not sit well with horses. They particularly do not sit well with horses that have a very strong sense of right and wrong, which some horses do. Um, Often these horses are mares. And um, so you may you know, have some stuff like that going on. Um, so, without seeing the dynamic between you, I can't tell you exactly what's going on there. But I can tell you, there's something you're you're doing to erode your authority. For me, and I think for most professional horse trainers, once we establish leadership with the horse, we don't generally backtrack from there. That that's sort of a permanent arrangement. But when you if you feel like at one time you had authority over a horse and now you don't, something has happened that you've given away your authority. So uh, people do the darndest things without realizing there are many things in the handling and training of horses that intuitively you do one thing, and what you should have done is the exact opposite. So I can't really ask answer these questions over the airwaves without seeing you, seeing the dynamic between you and your horse, seeing what you do with him on a daily basis. But I encourage you to explore your relationship a little deeper. And then, um, finally, I would just say that, you know from from everything I read here, this horse does not sound like she's a good match for you. Um, she sounds like a perfectly nice horse. It's just that your relationship is not getting better. It's getting worse. You're not enjoying this this uh, dream you've been put off put it put off for 25 years, and now you're finally in a position to uh, to uh, achieve your dream. And maybe this just isn't the right horse. Doesn't mean it's a bad horse. Um, Doesn't mean you're a bad person. Um, Just means it's not quite the right mix. So I would encourage you to maybe think about. Uh, finding that perfect owner for that horse and a look around a little bit more and find a horse that's more suited to your current needs and your lifestyle and what you're hoping to get out of this. So, good luck. And don't forget, this is all about having fun. So, make sure you're having fun at what you do.
1: This next question is from Betsy. She says, My horse wants to grab reins if I'm leading him or the lead rope. He's also biting on cross ties and tries to bite up my shirt occasionally. He's fine after riding or leading out to pasture. What should I do? And this was one of a few questions that we got about how to handle a horse that bites.
0: Well, Betsy, sounds like your horse is a bit of a handful. You don't say how old he is. But I'll just give you some general Information as it regards biting. Of course, biting is a very, very prominent behavior in horses. It's something they have to be taught not to do. It can become a very, very dangerous behavior. It and it can become a very. It can start out very playfully, and it can become a very aggressive behavior. In fact, it is the most aggressive behavior of horses. But it starts out very uh, innocently. And in fact, uh, the scientific researchers have told us that, and of course, horsemen know this to be true, that biting is actually a series of progressive behaviors, starting with lipping and proceeding to nipping, and then full-fledged biting. And it sounds like you are very close to the third stage, which is a horse that just flat out bites you, bites you hard, hurts you. Um, So that is a one-way progression that always continues unless training intervenes. So let's just go back and um, dissect the different problems that you're having. So first of all, you stated that when I'm leading him, He grabs at the reins or the lead line. And um, um, by the way, let me backtrack and say, you didn't mention how old he is. Generally, this is a behavior that is much more pronounced in young horses for a number of reasons. One is young horses explore their world with their mouth. Three of the five senses of the horse are at the mouth, the sense of smell, the tactile sense, and the sense of taste. And so young horses want to put their mouth all over everything. That's how they explore their universe. It is also how they explore their boundaries. And so that includes them putting their lips on you. And so Horses that are professionally handled or properly handled from a young age, biting gets nipped in the bud, no pun intended, or should I say pun intended? Biting is a behavior that gets nipped in the bud when horses are handled properly when they're young. If they don't, you wind up with a horse that bites. If that, if you know, you've got a horse right now that's already biting at your shirt. Um, There will come a time, maybe very shortly, when that horse is, is mad or angry or wants, wants something you're not letting him have, or he lashes out and bites you hard. And I, I hope that doesn't happen, but if it does, I hope that is something that makes you take corrective action because it's unnecessary for a horse to get to that state. Let me say one thing about grabbing the reins while you're leading him. This can um, ha- be caused by you um uh, it when you when a horse has a bit in his mouth if you are leading him by the reins you cannot pull in any way shape or form on the reins and one of the one of my greatest pet peeves of all is to see someone leading a bridled horse by holding the two reins together right behind the chin of the horse especially if you have a snaffle bit on that horse which pretty much functions like a nutcracker on his jaw So when you hang on to the reins of a bit right behind the mouth, and even when you just hold on to one rein, imagine the pulling that you're doing on that bit and how much that not only irritates the horse, but actually hurts his mouth. So you completely stay away from the mouth. If you're leading a horse with the reins, the proper thing to do is put the reins around the throat latch of the horse, grab it around the throat latch like they were a rope around the neck, and lead him from the reins around the throat latch. Never lead by pulling on the bit. Um, so if he's biting at the reins while you're doing that, I don't blame him at all. He's trying to tell you. I see horses shaking their heads, stomping their feet. They're trying to tell the person, please, you're hurting my mouth. And, and nine times out of 10, the people just totally ignore. So you could have caused that problem. Now, you you said he also bites at the lead when you're leading him, but it sounds like only if he's going somewhere he doesn't want to go. And you also said he bites at cross ties. Um, cross ties are very irritating to a horse, uh, especially if they're not used to them. Um, so the cross ties pretty much immobilize the head of the horse. We never cross our ho- tie our horses if we can avoid it. I know a lot of people really like that. And, and for human convenience, it's great. Um, they're not really safe for horses. Um, they they really put a lot of restriction on the horse's head. He can't He can't raise his head up and down. He can't turn it to the side. Um, I prefer to straight tie my horses with just a little bit of slack in the ropes so that he can just move his head a little bit around up and down or side to side as needed for his comfort. So that would be one, so, you know, I <laughs> it makes me wonder if this horse is just trying to tell you what he doesn't like in all the biting at the reins and the lead rope and the cross ties. However, um, horses, particularly young horses, are just mouthy. They like to put everything in their mouth, and some horses are worse than others. And some horses, when they're bored, they just, they just want to put something in their mouth. So what is... Most critically important is that you do not allow this horse to ever put his lips on you. You do not allow him furthermore to turn his nose towards you, which I don't, I rarely allow that on any horse, um, particularly a young horse. So I don't let him move any part of his body into my space, but especially his nose, because what he's going to do is put his lips on me and that's going to You know, lipping is when a horse just puts his lips on you and wiggles his lips like he's feeling uh, you. And uh, it feels funny and it tickles and we laugh about it. But when you allow your horse to put his lips on you, first of all, you tell the horse, I have no boundaries, walk all over me, do whatever you want. So he's learning that in the process. Second of all, lipping 100% of the time leads to nipping. And nipping is when a horse takes a little tiny bite in his teeth and then he usually flies backwards because he knows he's going to get in trouble for that. If he doesn't get in trouble for that, biting begins. And biting progresses to the most deadly behavior of horses, which is aggressive biting. Sometimes horses are euthanized once they become aggressive biters. So you do this horse a great disservice by allowing him to get away with putting his lips on you, putting his nose on you, moving into your space. Um, Now, if I have a young horse, like let's say a two, three-year-old, and he just is real mouthy. Um, I've got him tied up to the hitch and rail while I'm saddling grooming him, grooming, and he starts playing with the lead rope. For the most part, I'm just going to kind of ignore that. I, I want to sort of pick my battles. Uh, I don't want to be raining all over his parade every two seconds. So if that playing with that lead rope will distract him long enough for me to get through the grooming and the saddling and all that, I'm not too worried about it. But if but the the chance I take then is that the horse learns it's okay to chew on stuff. So I think it's perfectly fine to make the executive decision. You're not allowed to put your mouth on any of the equipment. and I would just sort of harshly jerk it out of his mouth, scold him a little bit, um, don't uh, tie him up in a way, and don't leave things within range of his mouth. Um, so that helps. If if you're having these kinds of problems and your horse is not young, let's say he's over eight or 10 years old, then this horse has been allowed to put his mouth on things all his life. So that's something I would really address. I would address it hard. Uh, I would just cold turkey, go zero tolerance about putting your nose anywhere near me. Um, but do consider how you're handling the horse with the reins and the lead rope. Do consider... Uh, reconsider the cross ties, um, see if that doesn't help, and uh, make sure beyond everything else you do not let this horse put his lips on you or move his nose towards you.
1: The next question comes from Sue and she says, so I'm curious how to handle encounters with bees while trail riding I had witnessed my horse's reaction to a bee in the pasture, and I truly dreaded that ever happening while I was riding, but it did on a recent ride. The group was on a single track section of the trail, cut into a wooded hill. The horse in front of us did a little hop and a kick. Then the bees got to my horse, and she erupted from crow hops to all-out bucking. I worked to get her head up and eventually get her moving. The thought to bail off was so strong, but I resisted. No one got hurt, but it's an experience I don't want to repeat. The writers behind me said, I earned my eight-second buckle. I'm just thankful I stayed on.
0: Okay. Well, Sue, congratulations for staying on. And yeah, you, you you did earn the prize there. And What I hope that does is give you more confidence to know that you can ride through a serious situation that you can stick with your horse. You did all the right things. You rode away from it. You stayed proactive in your riding. You did not bail off. That's always our last option. The chances of you getting hurt bailing off are often greater than staying on the horse. So we, we never advocate just bailing off a horse at the slightest uh, problem. And also, Uh, you know, obviously you, you would have still been where the bees were. So to get back to addressing bees while trail riding, you know, Sue, if, if I had a magic formula, um, I would gladly tell you, but this is a natural hazard. I don't know of any way to completely avoid it other than to not trail ride in areas where you know there to be bees nests in the ground. So I used to live in North Carolina when I first was in college. I uh, worked at a summer camp there teaching horseback riding, and we would take large groups of rides out into the woods, in the mountains. And a certain time of year, uh, once we realized there was a lot of ground bees, we would, we would just stop that activity, but, or we would avoid that trail, that particular trail. But in typical fashion, when you're on silver on um, single track, and it's wooded on both sides of you, so there's not a lot of escape routes. Um, the first one or two horses is, is going to cruise by with no problems. The second third horse may step in the nest. It might be the third, fourth, or fifth horse that actually starts getting stung. Often the rider is getting stung at the same time the horse is or shortly thereafter. So y- you generally kind of figure it out. Generally, there's bees buzzing around. So, the other than avoiding that situation, you, you you it's nothing you can see. You can't really know that you're going to step on one, um, unless you were there on that trail last week and stepped on one. You might. I would think about avoiding it. Um, so once once the incident has occurred. All of the horses need to leave the area immediately, pretty much in different directions. So we don't want to follow the horse in front of us because the bees are going to be following. The bees are going to kind of be staying with the horses that they're attacking. And uh, so we kind of all want to ride away from each other. You want to move that horse forward proactively uh, to get away from the bees. It is, of course, not your horse's fault that he is Crow hopping and bucking, um, that's perfectly normal behavior for him. But if you can just try to stay with the horse, try to ride him proactively away, turn him to the left and maybe turn him a little bit to the right, so you're actually, you know, issuing commands, um, then as soon as I got away from the bees, I would want to, of course, stop my horse. And this is uh, when it's good to know. The emergency stopping rein, which is called the pulley rein, and uh, I often teach it in clinics. It is a way to definitively stop a bucking or runaway horse. Um, it is it is not an easy rein aid to apply. You have to know how to do it. You have to have practiced it. Um, but it is it is the sort of last resort rein aid that we use for runaway horses or for a bucking horse if you can get a hold of him and um so I can't really you know share with you over the airwaves how to do that but there's a lot of information on my website about it um there should should be some uh, information on the pulley rein or the emergency stopping rein on the free side of our website. Of course, on the paid subscription side, uh, we have lots of content regarding how to do the emergency pulling rein, videos and whatnot that will help you learn that skill. So I just encourage you to add that to your arsenal of skills. And when it comes to riding, and as far as the bees go. Avoid that area if you can um, and maybe wait till a time of year until the bees aren't so so much a problem. And um, good job and congratulations, Sue, for riding out the eight seconds.
1: All right, our next question comes from Tamara and she says, any advice on buddy sour issues when you only have two horses? The horse I leave behind gets very upset when I ride my mare away from him. My young mare isn't as bad, but becomes more jumpy when away from him. Sure. Well, Tamara,
0: once again, if I could wave a magic wand and make your problem go away, I'd be a very wealthy person. Um, This is an age-old problem, always has been, always will be, because horses are instinctively gregarious, and gregarious behavior he refers to the herd bound nature of horses and in, in a horse's mind, they are only safe and they can only survive in the herd. And there's no situation in which a horse voluntarily um, leaves the herd by himself. And so when you only have two horses and there are no other horses around, this is an extra big problem. Now, it can still be a problem if you have many horses, because horses, by the way, form bonded relationships within the herd. So let's say an average size herd is seven or eight horses. Within that herd of seven or eight horses, each horse will have one or at the most two horses that they're especially bonded to. And we call those buddies. The behaviorists call them associates. We now know behaviors uh, widely agree that there are species of animals that form friendships, and horses are one of them. Um, And so, horses are specially bonded to certain horses, even within the herd. So, whether you have a situation like you do, where you just have two horses at home um, and they're all by themselves, or you have two horses kept together. Or two horses that have just become very, very tightly bonded within a larger herd of horses. Um, Horses don't want to be separated. And as you have already discovered, it is usually the horse you leave behind and not the one you take out that is the greatest problem. It's the horse you leave behind that's running up and down the fence or pacing in their stall, screaming out, frantic. And um, they can actually even do themselves harm by pacing up and down the fence too hard, turning um, that hard turn. I've seen horses dig huge ruts in the ground. Uh, This is hard on their joints as well as being really hard on their mental well-being. So for that reason, if I'm taking one horse out to work with them, instead of leaving that second horse behind, I actually bring them out and tie them up someplace. I might put them in a stall with a nice big bag of hay. Um, I will definitely put them someplace comfortable. I might even just tie them up in the pen they're already in. But the main thing is, uh, assuming this is a horse that no, you know, is trained to tie. Um, generally, once you tie that a horse up, he quiets right down. It's that frantic pacing and screaming that is, is sending him sort of into an emotional meltdown. And oftentimes when we eliminate his ability to run up and down the fence, he quiets himself down. So, um, that, that would be my first suggestion. Take that other horse out, tie him up, make him comfortable somewhere. But that way it just sort of disallows his frantic behavior. Now the people are asking all the time about herd bound, sour, all those kinds of behaviors. The truth of the matter is we can work around that quite handily. If you're willing to put the time into a horse through groundwork, through relationship building, um, for that horse to develop trust in your leadership, for that horse to develop trust in your judgment, for that horse to get the actual same Feelings that he gets from the herd. So that might beg the question well, what does a horse get from the herd? And when I throw that question out to audiences, uh, what is it? What do, what do horses get from the herd? What do they want most? Uh, generally, uh, quite a few people will shout out food. And um, even though you may think your horse is a very food motivated animal, he's not. Um, and food. Is, has nothing to do with why horses are drawn to the herd. Horses can find their food anywhere. Remember, they can eat almost anything, almost any plant matter. And so, if you just turn the horses loose, they will find the food. They are not reliant on the herd for food. They are, in fact, reliant on the uh, herd, first of all, for safety and security. So, their number one feeling that they get from the herd is a sense of safety and a sense of security. The number two thing that they get from the herd is comfort. Horses are comfort-seeking animals. Horses are animals that share comfort um, behaviors with each other. They swish each other's flies. They provide shade for each other. They do all kinds of things that are, they mutually groom each other, scratch each other in their favorite places. And um, there's even instances of a horse laying down next to a sick horse to hold them up um, to help them in that way. So horses are comfort-seeking animals, and and they're safety-seeking animals, being prey animals. So the two things that they get the most from the herd, which are in fact their two greatest motivating factors in life, are a sense of safety and a sense of comfort. And so we can provide those things quite readily to a horse. So as we do groundwork with horses and, you know, I have a, a variety of groundwork videos, but the, uh, the number one I would recommend is lead line leadership. If you, if you have a round pen and are interested in understanding round pen work, you might want to look at my round pen reasoning video. But through groundwork, we gradually gain control and authority over the horse. We start treating the horse in a very structured and authoritative way, but in a way that he understands and in a way that makes sense, um, in in a way that we can praise him and allow him to rest and be comfortable when he is acting one way, and then we might put him to work and make him a little bit uncomfortable when he is acting another way. And through this process, the horse comes to trust our leadership ability. He comes to be drawn to the structure and the authority, uh, makes him feel safe, makes him want to be with you. He starts thinking you're really smart um, and you're going to take care of him. Um, When he starts, you know, converting towards this behavior towards me, I also at the same time am starting to make friends with him. I'm starting to pet on him, let him rest when he deserves it. Uh, Therefore, I am providing him the comfort that he needs. And so through this process and over time, the horse is getting the same sense of security and comfort from me that he gets from the herd. And From that point forward, that horse is generally willing to go with me anywhere because I'm providing the sort of emotional support that he needs, that he gets when he's with the herd. So that doesn't come for free. That doesn't come cheap. You have to work at it. You have to be dedicated to it. You have to have excellent and consistent leadership qualities before the horse is going to be willing to go with you. Um, but it's certainly possible. I feel like I could achieve that with pretty much any horse that I wanted to work with. So, um, but also one more thing I'll mention about buddy sour is this is a condition that increases with age on a horse. So generally young horses have more independence. They are more adventurous they are also simultaneously getting a lot more training and handling. So those horses don't tend to be as big a problem as our middle-aged horses. You know, horses you know, 12, 13 years old and up, they're really wanting even more security around them. They want the safety of the herd even more. They want to work even less. Um, they, in other words, their comfort is more important to them. So the older a horse gets, the more of this tends to become a problem. So we wanna make sure with our middle-aged horses that we're staying on top of this, uh, making sure that we separate horses when we can, that they're not becoming overly dependent on another horse um, and take every opportunity you can to uh, establish good solid leadership with your horse.
1: All right, we have time for a couple more questions. And this next one comes from Debbie. She asks, with little ride time for both horse and rider during winter, how do you recommend staying in shape for trail riding?
0: Well, Debbie, it's a great time of year to be asking that question. Here we are in the fall, and I don't know about wherever you are, but it's definitely getting cool and blustery around here. We're starting to think more about riding indoors. And... For a lot of people, particularly in northern climates where winters are harsh, people often can't do anything with their horses in the winter. There's no footing. There's no indoor arena. um, There's snow and ice on the ground. The horses are just kind of hunkered down. So if, if that's your situation, then that's your situation. There's not a lot you can do about it. Then what happens is you have to plan out your riding in the spring And if you're planning to go on some big trail rides, you want to make sure that you schedule them with enough time to get your horse in shape. Now, if he's a young horse that was in really great shape last year and just had a few months off for the winter, probably two or three weeks of riding is going to be enough time to get him, um, quote unquote, hardened to the saddle and riding again. Um, You know, after two, three weeks of riding, let's say two, three, four times a week, He's going to be developing his strength again. He's going to have gotten used to the saddle on his back and the and the girth being tightened and all that. So, um, if you have the ability to ride some during the winter, but just not as much as you normally did, then I think your um, your conditioning program is going to naturally flow that. As the weather gets warmer, you start gradually riding more and more. And so the horse conditions um, conditions as the weather gets better. But I'll just tell you a few things in terms of helping keep your horse in shape. First of all, any sort of forced exercise is going to help. And by forced, I mean in addition to what he's getting on his own. So ho- hopefully if your horse is getting turned out during the day in a large enough pen where he's running and playing with other horses. He's getting some exercise during the day and we we just want to add to it in some way. Even just taking your horse on a 10 or 15 minute walk once or twice a day would do a lot to condition him. And you could add to that possibly doing some lunge line work, some lead line work where he's having to trot a little bit, um, increasing the amount of time he's trotting by a minute or two, or three or four every week. Um, so these are all great uh, conditioning techniques, ponying that horse. But if the weather's, if you're in a northern climate and you can't ride in the winter because of the weather, chances are good the footing's bad too. And so, You you might not gain much in trying to ride in bad footing if the horse slips or, you know, tears a muscle or something like that. So hand walking may be the best that you can do. And um, in which case, yeah, a good, brisk 15-minute walk. uh, Twice a day would be awesome. Once a day would be adequate, probably. Uh, With young horses, with, let's say, yearlings we're trying to condition that are too young to ride, Uh, You'd be surprised how fit those horses will get off about 15 minutes of hand walking twice a day. So uh, that would be what I encourage you to do. Remember that we have to get that horse's feet in condition for trail riding. He has to have gotten used to that saddle being on his back. He needs his muscles to gain strength. And he needs his aerobic capacity to increase. All of these things are Are parts of the equation that you need to address in conditioning for trail rides, and on top of that, if you're going to be hauling your horse to trail ride in an environment that he's not used to, uh, let's say you normally ride on the flats and you're you're uh, hauling him up to the mountains, well, he's going to need some conditioning on hills, up and down as well. So try to uh, shake up your routine a little bit, maybe. employ all of those tactics and do uh, something a little bit different every day. And even if the only hill you have is your drive driveway or something like that, you can walk up and down that hill a couple of times. You could even ask your horse to back up a short hill, uh, back down a short hill. These kind of work work a different set of muscles. So um, at the end of the day, you're gonna have to be riding him for him to be totally in shape for riding. And you're going to have to approach that slowly and uh, lengthening the number of days and the amount of time you ride on those days uh, gradually over uh, a month or two before your horse is ready uh, for a full-blown trail ride.
1: All right, this is our last question, and it comes from Karen. She asks, I've been working to meet my weekly goals, and I'm learning that my goals might have to be adjusted Last week, an abscess held us up, and I discovered that he needs to learn patience being tied. I thought we had accomplished that last year, but apparently not. He paces, crow hops, head tosses, paws, kicks out with his hind feet, and even a little rearing, which is new. Not to mention the high-pitched whinnying. I have tried tying him to his trailer, his shed, the hitching post, and even a high line, and his antics are always the same. I do not untie him until I see signs of relaxation. Any suggestions to help me help him stand tied calmly? Sure. Well, Karen, this is,
0: um, of course, uh, a common problem. And it sounds like you're doing all the right things. But for the most part, horses don't stand quietly to when they're tied unless they've been taught to stand quietly when tied. And the only way we can really you can't really force that onto a horse. They have to learn it themselves. They have to learn that sometimes I'm going to be tied up and sometimes I might be here for a very long time. And sometimes I'm going to want to be tied up because if you're not if I'm not tied up, that means you're riding me and I'm working hard, so I'm glad to be tied up so because that means I'm resting. But a horse learns in time that sometimes he's going to be tied up, sometimes he's going to have to stand there for a while, and so he needs to be patient and he needs to accept it. Horses don't get that way accidentally. Generally, we teach it to the horses when they're very young. You didn't mention how old your horse was, but I'm guessing you're still in some pretty green training stages with this horse because you mentioned you had some setbacks to your weekly goals. So this is the classic uh, scenario of what you know old time horsemen call the patient's post. The patient's post, by the way, some people think that's some kind of trademarked uh, device. It's not. It refers to actually this this training activity. so the patient your patient's post could be anywhere. I would. Uh, make sure it was a safe and solid place to tie a young horse. Um, I would make sure that he was comfortable there uh, in the shade, um, comfortable, you know, flies weren't eating him up, ants weren't crawling up his legs. I, I don't, it's unreasonable to expect him to learn patience if he's really uncomfortable. So from the youngest possible age, I don't like to tie horses younger than a yearling, but from the yearling year up, We're going to start tying the horses up every chance we get. With the real young horses, I like to tie them up with older horses around them. The older horses know how to act, and that way the young horse has a good role model there. Might be something you want to consider, uh, Karen, if your horse might stand better tied with an older horse tied nearby, go ahead and employ the services of that horse. Anything we can do to help him learn. So what we do is we start tying that horse up from a young age and we make sure if if, if you're just starting on this, you, you've already got to the point where you're just going to have to leave this horse tied until he quits acting that way. Uh, with a really young horse, I might get him out the first few times and he might only stay out there for 20, 30 minutes in the company of other horses while we're messing around with him. And then I gradually increase that time um, and then gradually I'm doing less and less with him. So he's standing there by himself. Gradually, I would be even removing the other horse. But he needs to learn that sometimes he's going to have to stand there. As long as he's uh, displaying impatient behavior, like stomping the ground and throwing his head and backing up and doing all those things you said he was doing, as long as he's acting that way, you cannot untie him. You have to wait until he's standing quietly and has accepted that fate. And then the moment you see him doing that, run out there and untie him and put him away. So if I have a horse that's really, really struggling with this concept, it might take several weeks of tying him up for long periods of time, two, three hours of time or more. If he's a really impatient horse that gets angry and starts really fighting it and working himself up into a tizzy. He's going to spend more time there than another horse that's quieter and more accepting of his fate. So whatever time it takes is what time it takes. But for every time you have untied the horse and placated him when he's acted that way, it's going to take that much longer to train him to to stand patiently when tied. Um, trust me when I tell you all horses are capable of learning this. Um, m- most people get horses that have already learned it, and so they're, they don't really understand what went into training the horse to stand tie, uh, quietly tied. Some people have never required their horses to do this. I've seen horses that are you know, mature middle aged horses that have never had to stand tied for any time other than when you're pampering them and grooming them and washing them and all that stuff. So um, some horses just get bored and they don't want to do it anymore. So they start fussing and acting up. And then uh, for every time we remove them from the tie rail, when they're acting that way, we've taught them to act that way. So um, stay the course. It sounds to me like you're you're doing the right things. Um, Find that moment when the horse is standing patiently um, to untie him and put him away. Uh, If he's really a mess, you may want to consider a soft cotton rebraided hobble on the front feet um, to just encourage him not to paw and and dig a hole and all that stuff. I like to uh, have my horse standing on mats, rubber mats, so that they don't dig a hole Um, so that they're not standing directly on concrete and and possibly hurting their feet if they do paw. And then uh, pretty much we just tie them up a safe, short, you know, safe halter they can't break, a safe lead rope they can't break, tie them up pretty short in a comfortable place and just leave them and only untie them when they're uh, showing signs of acceptance. And once you're done with that, you're done with it, and you've got a horse that unless you mess him up somehow, is going to tie and stand quietly when tied the rest of his life. I always want to make sure a horse that I've got standing at the patient's post is supervised in some way. I would never leave a horse tied and just, you know, like leave and leave him there on his own because, you know, what if he fell down or got hung up in the rope somehow or, or broke something and got loose? So I want to be present and I want to be observing the horse, but you don't want to be placating the horse in any way. So if every time he started, you know, fussing around and pawing the ground, I went over there and petted on him or placated him in some way, uh, it would be a, a, a total waste of time. I'd be undoing any training I, I had had done. So when you say supervised, um, I hope what you mean is that you're just in the neighborhood where you're keeping an eye on the horse to make sure he's safe, uh, but you're not in his uh, close up to his proximity. Um, But there's nothing wrong with tying him around where all the other people are, where all the other horses are. So he's got stuff to look at and be interested in. Um, But you just want to, you know, he needs to stand there without being attended to. Everyone, for a fun and interesting conversation on everything from being stung by bees to a horse that bites to buddy sour to horses that aren't tying very well. So we kind of went all over the map there, and it was a lot of fun. I really appreciate those questions. Keep them coming in. We're going to answer your questions with every episode of the podcast. And if we get another backlog, hey, we'll do another uh, special edition of What the Hay Q&A. Next month, we'll tackle another horse training subject and hopefully help you find the solutions that make your horse life better. Be sure to hit subscribe and you won't miss a single episode. I enjoy sharing my horse training experience with you, but I'd love to hear what topics interest you the most. If you have questions for our Q&A segment, ideas for topics you'd like me to address, or you'd like to participate in a call-in podcast with me, please message me on Facebook at Julie Goodnight or email me at, podcast at I'm Julie Goodnight. Thank you for listening and enjoy the ride. Be sure to visit juliegoodnight.com slash academy for more in-depth training advice. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate your good review on iTunes so more horse lovers just like you can find my podcast. Thanks for listening and don't forget to enjoy the ride. Thank mm-hmm. you.